Everyone faces questions and decisions that require insight and answers as we move forward personally, professionally, and corporately in all areas of this thing we call life in America today. Hello, this is Joe Schofield, and I invite you to tune in every Monday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. as we talk together and hear from key leaders of all ages and backgrounds about your questions. Interesting, informative, intuitive, but always encouraging. Tune us in on BBS Radio Network. Join Pastor Joe and co-hosts Ron Greer, Dr. Paul Hall, Stephanie Thayer, and Dr. Craig Thayer in Raising Expectations. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, welcome to this week's edition of Raising Expectations. And you know we're here to prayerfully raise your expectations and to let you know that you can expect something great when you watch God work in your life. And tonight we're going to hear from another wonderful guest in just a moment. And she's going to share things that are going to really make you think and hopefully really make you pray as God works in your life. Um, we're so pleased that you tune us in each week, and thank you for the, the emails and texts that you send to me. I really appreciate the way you, you support and the way you pray for and the way you mention uh, our team. And speaking of team, again, I'm Pastor Joe, but I want you to meet some of the guys. And, and by the way, I'm coming to you from, you're not going to believe this. Are you ready for this? I'm coming to you tonight all the way from the vast metropolis of Rochester, Minnesota. If you're impressed, that's it. I'll take I started. And and that Did is you the head. For me? Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> R Phil. <laughs> okay. And uh it's the head it, tank is where you have the uh Mayo Clinic. Yes. That's where the, the right the Mayo Clinic is. Yeah, there. the main one. They have they have little satellites like in Arizona and other places, but yeah. Okay. Powerful, I asked them. Oh, man. Well, that's cool. I asked them when they started making mayonnaise here, but then they didn't really know what I was talking about. But in any event, it's a long way from home and been a wonderful place. And I even have uh, 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 soda water to match because I'm not at home. I'm on the road. But uh, my sister and I are here and it's a great time as we're going to see my my grandson. So it's going to be really fun to see him in Ohio. But moving right along, I want you to meet again in case it's your first time. Uh, our our wonderful team that we call the Raising Expectation co-host team. And I'm going to start on the West Coast again and uh, our all the way down in Lompoc, California, my friend for a long time, Dr. Paul Hall, who is a retired pastor and theologian. And as you know, he theologues every week. He takes things that he's learned through scripture, applies them in the news that we watch, and then we get to hear some great things that Lord lays on his heart. So uh, theologue is a new word we made up. Don't waste time looking it up, but it'll be in the next Webster Dictionary. You'll find it. So in any event, also we have, as we move across the nation, we'll go to Central America next, which is the great state of Texas. And in Texas, we have one of our favorite pastors in the world, our friend, <laughs> Pastor Ron Greer uh, from McKinney, Texas. And Ron is a is a, a retired pastor. He's an, an educator. He's a Marine. He's uh, he's done a lot of different things. Ran for United States Congress. He was thinking on that. He also is um, 
was set up to work with Man in the Mirror, and he disciples men out of the state of Florida, and he does it there in the state of Texas and many other places around the, the nation that he helps men. Ron's a great man of God. He's a great guy, and you're going to love getting to know Ron each week more and more. So we've got Pastor Paul and Pastor Ron, and then all the way to the East Coast, by way of the West Coast, we have actually Stephanie and her husband, Dr. Craig Thayer. Stephanie might be back later. I don't know if she's here tonight. She uh, has some things for the family to do. And uh, they've got a great family. They're, they're special, special people. She's a health and wellness coach. She's renowned. Uh, the way she does what she does is amazing because it comes in her relationship with Jesus Christ. So when she talks about health, she talks about complete health. And uh, Tank is a Dr. Craig Thayer, but we call him Tank. And like we lovingly say, he is a surgeon who uh, deals with people who, when they've had trauma in their life, they take him uh, there and he is the one who helps him to find out what the next step might be. We love these couple. They're special, special people. So that spreads the nation with our regular team of hosts and hosts and co-hosts. And uh, so if I slip on a couple of words tonight uh, at my age, uh, I actually, I want to tell you something. I haven't slept in two nights because I drove to Mount Rushmore and, and uh, where President Trump spoke there and across the, all the way here and then again all the way to Ohio. So I found out that Daddy Night Driver that my kids used to call me, he still lives. Uh, but Daddy Dead Driver the next day is about that tired. So we're going to have a great time together tonight. So uh, we have something very special tonight for you, as you probably read. We have with us a special guest, Dr. Georgette Nichols. But before we introduce her tonight, I'm going to let her share and she's going to just scare us away. You all know, love and appreciate our good friend, Charles Linderfeld from the state of Texas and uh, who also ran for Congress, who is loved and revered by so many people there in the state of Texas. Uh, and he he's going to tell the story. And I've asked him uh, on our behalf, guys, if he could introduce her tonight and tell a little bit about how they met and how God brought this all about. And then uh, Dr. Nichols can share later how that all works and, and give us the inside track on that. So all the way again from the great state of Texas there in Dallas, Charles Linfeld, if you could share with us a little bit, we'd be blessed and honored and then introduce our guests for us. Okay, guys and Georgette. <laughs> Nice to see you tonight. Good to be with you. Um, a while back, I guess it was about April, uh, I was talking on the phone with one of my friends who is uh, who founded the Band of Brothers here in uh, the Dallas area, uh, a group of uh, praying men and Bible-believing men Amen. Uh, that I have been uh, working with and attended the uh, Bible study once a week. For many years, it was held in John Nyland's home, former uh, offensive lineman of the Dallas Cowboys, and they move to different locations now uh, to create a convenience for other men to attend. I was speaking with him, and uh, I had sent him a copy of our magazine, I believe it was April issue, and uh, we were talking about that. He was asking me some questions and et cetera. And uh, he said, by the way, I have a friend that I'd like to introduce uh, to you to. 
and her to you. And uh, she's a registered pharmacist who uh, became aware of a ring of employees in major hospitals here in Dallas who were stealing medicines from uh, COVID-19 patients. And they were either using the medicines, the drugs, or they were selling them. And uh, as soon as I got off the phone, he texted me her name and phone number. And I responded to her with a, uh, I, I think he texted her and, and me together. And I responded to her about the message I just received from my friend. And he set us up and we uh, began to talk back and forth. She told me her story. And then uh, I invited her to meet uh, a friend of mine who goes with me to all of my uh, uh, meetings. And uh, he's a security guard. And uh, he went with me to McAllister's in Mesquite. And we had uh, a bite of lunch, a bite of dinner together actually. And uh, Georgette and I met. And then from that point, she began to compose her story in two parts for the May issue uh, and June issue of Christian Times Magazine. That's how we met. We've been friends ever since. She became one of the writers for our magazine. And we are pleased, delighted, and uh, 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 to tell you tonight that she is in association with us, with Christ, and with our magazine. She does an excellent job. We're proud of her. We're proud of the stand that she's taken because taking a stand for Christ many times uh, costs come with it. So Man. my friend is Dr. Georgette Nichols, and I'll return it back to you, Joe, and uh, let you welcome her. We want to give you, thank you, Charles. We want to give you the, the welcome we give our guests and, and, and invite you to share with us. We want to say welcome to Raising Expectations and we give you that special. We thank God you're here. Amen. Georgette, tell us a little bit about uh, how Charles just explained that special meeting that uh, God brought about. Well, it was definitely orchestrated by God. I definitely say that. And um, I actually ended up meeting Charles because um, I would volunteer when I had no job. And I would go to the bridge in Dallas at North Park and, and um, we would fly banners. And um, when I had no job during the summer, because I, I lost it for reporting the narcotics being stolen, I would go there and um, randomly... I bumped into the friend Charles talked about and um, I kind of told him my story and like why I was there and what I was going through and how no one essentially had believed me and that, you know, I felt led by God to keep fighting and keep speaking the truth and um, doing what's right. And he was like, well, you know, I think I have a friend that will let you talk to and maybe you could write if you like to write and all that. And I don't know if the friend ever realized that I'd actually gone to Oxford and studied English a little bit, not to say I'm good at it anymore. That was a long time ago. And now I'm in sciences and we write entirely different. But um, I don't know if they realized all that, but God did. And so essentially, like everywhere God had put me in my life, it when I made that decision, 
that I made, it was all basically coming together of like what he orchestrated for me to do to fulfill basically what happened and what he, um, I guess, assigned. It's a weird saying, signed to me. Or he he threw it in my lap. I didn't sign up for this. I will say that. Yes. Nor would I have. Um, no, but that's kind of how God does things, right? We all don't sign Amen. up for like anything He puts our way. But then when you have that um, that passion to go after it that you can't explain, then you can explain it's from God. Amen. Yeah. When the when the fight's bigger than you are. Yeah. God's involved. Exactly. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, can I can I can I validate you first of all? So you're a farm D. Yes. Sir. Right. So she has a doctorate in pharmacology. Old school pharmacists, you know, they have always been in charge of monitoring medications. Amen. And and um even in the hospitals. So now there's a lot more farm D's because of different medications that can interfere or bother each other but more importantly they are the gatekeeper of narcotics because i write a prescription and it's for too many they've got to get on the phone and talk with me and say okay why are you doing this so they become i mean that's just the way the laws have made it which is a pain because it's more time for them it takes time out of educating patients and people and so i thank you for being there one two Wow. I mean, taking a stand against, you know, big hospitals and, and yeah, that's, that's huge. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So Georgia, can you uh, give us a little insight on why, um, I'll phrase the question, why has this gotten so out of hand? Uh, you know, we've it's been going on for, you know, for decades. I was an EMT for uh, 18 years. And it's one of, so it's one of the things that you you become aware of, um, but but why the explosion all of a sudden? Uh, and and what and tell us the politically correct name they use for it? Hmm. Well, they they call it diversion, which is my favorite word. So they say it's diversion, and I have to report diversion. But literally, diversion means you stole the drug; it wasn't intended for you. Yes. <laughs> so it's pretty simple. It's called stealing, but we have re- rebranded it so that it sounds better politically to diversion, like you said. Yeah, it's been rebranded. Oh, so, so why the explosion uh, coincidentally during COVID? So during COVID specifically, the issue was that we trucked in nurses, right, that didn't work for our hospital that didn't have a commitment to that company, that wasn't held at the same standards as regular employees. So they weren't doing the same background checks, they may not have done drug tests, they may have um, had the contractor company be in charge of those, so they have different standards. I, I'm sure the doctor knows, the ER doctor, or I mean the OR doctor is like, oh yeah, definitely. Um, so they yeah. have that, right? When you have different physicians groups or someone else controlling the, the uh, employee population, that was one problem. The other problem was we did not let family into the room. So the family are the eyes and ears 
to the entire hospital staff, right, of telling the patient, the family, that they tell the healthcare providers, pharmacists, mostly nurses, what's going on and what's really going on. So we've blocked the family from entering to being the eyes and ears. We're employing hospitals with employees that are not there long-term, that are transient, basically going all around the state. And then you leave them unfiltered to narcotics. And so unfortunately, the rules and regulations of hospitals are very gray. It, it depends on hospital to hospital that has different protocols and different rules. And chronically, hospitals short staff, um, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, that's just what they do. But what's great is they'll hire that contractor nurse and pay them $100 an hour because they're not paying for their employee benefits, right? And their their health insurance and their sick and vacation time, but they'll give you $100 an hour versus 40. And so it incentivizes this type of employee to come in. They're not monitoring them. They're only there a short period of time and they're leaving. And then you have, unfortunately, you have a pandemic. You have essentially a war zone. And anytime you have a war zone like atmosphere, if you do not have people that are morally sound and Christians, you're going to have all this sin and all these issues. I mean, any war you look at, there's rape, there's there's children being stolen, there's something like that. Well, that's the same thing in a hospital during a pandemic. They just, it was a war zone. And so you have, uh, you know, employees that are not rested, employees that are drained, you have short staffing crew, and then top it off, all hospitals now are almost ran by businessmen instead of clinicians with one bottom line to make money. Mm-hmm. And healthcare and healing is never about money. And they've Amen. got to remove that. They've got to for us to fix this, honestly. Well, I'm glad you'd like to raise that issue because that'd be another thing I think most of the audience don't, don't understand. That yeah. they walk into a hospital, they, they assume that every, everybody there works for that hospital. And they're on the same guidelines, same criteria yeah. as everybody in the hospital. And they have no idea that there are contract workers there uh, who, don't, who aren't, don't have the same, same standard. Yeah. Uh, I think the other, other thing is, uh, the thing that shocked to me when I first started involved in the emergency room and that sort of deal, I was an ER tech and also an EMT. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the amount of hours that... Uh, yeah. And interns put in, yeah. and then you you quickly learn that they have very unique ways of finding ways to stay awake and be alert for 24, 36 hours. Yeah. Can you speak to those two issues for me? Yeah. Uh, so they definitely that definitely occurs. So um, I actually left one job once because they were making me work almost ninety six hours because I had to work two jobs. They had hired me when I had three jobs and they just decided that I would work nights. And Mm. so they would just switch my schedule around. They do that to anyone in a hospital. You really don't have the right over your schedule, especially during a pandemic, we were short staffed. And Mm. the unique ways they stay awake. Oh yeah, I mean, I used to drink three to four monsters sometimes to stay awake for 96 hours. That damage on my heart and like all that caffeine, that's not good. 
that's not good for your body. And then, like you said, I, I mean, I don't do drugs, but a lot of people end up doing drugs. They end up smoking, right? I mean, I have coworkers that I had no idea who smoked until I saw them on a break once outside smoking to try to stay awake. And, um, you know, that's obviously very frowned upon. Um, we kind of do whatever we can to um, meet the end goal, which is hours in and care given and unfortunately the hospital administrators they're just worried about the bottom line like i said they're ran by businessmen they're not usually run by clinicians anymore um if you have a ceo of a hospital who's a businessman that's not a doctor or clinician of course all he cares about is his bottom line how could he care about anything else he's not a clinician Mm -hmm. so that's a failure of our healthcare system it really Mm -hmm. is it's gonna yeah I have one, one more, but I don't want to hog the hours. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Ron. Go ahead, Ron. You're all around. So we have uh, this explosion of, of um, narcotics and um, overdoses and, and the fentanyl. And then the, the news media is this constant drumbeat when you do, they do report on it, that is flowing over the border and coming from China and, and these other foreign countries. Uh, which, what's your, your opinion on the fentanyl and the narcotics that are actually flooding neighborhoods now. I definitely think I'm, I'm sure they're being made overseas. I'm sure that's happening. We've seen it, right? We've seen supposedly all these photos from the DEA seizing everything at the border. So I'm sure that is a narrative. Um, here's my concern. It takes a lab, a clandestine lab to make fentanyl. It is not like meth. Meth can be made with common household products in a water bottle, and we call it shake and bake. Um, Fentanyl, on the other hand, can't. You have to buy certain chemical byproducts, which you can't buy. The DEA is outlawed. And then the narrative, it's made in China. Um, It would have to come shipped through the boats down all the way. Then it'd have to get to South America, and you'd have to smuggle it up through mules. That's a lot of variables, and it sure doesn't cost that much. Now, admittedly, it's very potent, and supposedly they can make it pretty easily and make it potent, so that's why the cost is cheaper, but you can buy fentanyl cheaper than heroin now, so that's a concern. And then my question is, how do we increase in overdose deaths if we shut down the borders and shut down the world for two years? How did that happen? We couldn't get stuff on our shelves. We couldn't get toilet paper. We couldn't get anything because we shut down all the shipping and everything. I had stuff I bought in Japan that I couldn't get for a year because they couldn't ship to me. So how do we ship fentanyl? That's my question. So I don't think the narrative is it's 100% from the borders is right. Because in 2019, 148 million narcotics were stolen by North American healthcare workers alone. That's data from Protonus, which is a company that's an AI company, kind of like Google of analytics, it's it's an AI company that monitors drug diversion, monitors your pooling, monitors your administration time, and it's stratified by user. And most hospitals don't even have that. In fact, the place I worked didn't have it till after I was fired, ironically. They magically bought it after they fired me. Um, so no, I mean, 148 million when I called them, that was units. So that could be one pill. That could be 10 milliliters. It depends on the product you stole and the package size. So, I mean, that's everyone in Russia to get a drug. Mm -hmm. And we're not even looking into that. And that was based on 
almost, I think I was based on uh, less than 300 reports. So in less than 300 reports of narcotic theft in the hospital, they found 148 million drugs stolen. And I want to know why the heck we're not looking at it. And that's why I keep going at it. And that's why every time I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. God gives me something else. And I'm like, okay, I'm on it. I, I get why you gave it to me. I'm passionate about it. <laughs> so, yeah. It's good. It's good. Okay, I'm sorry. One last one, I promise. Yeah, no, go ahead. I'm excited. You hit me with good ones. No, here's here's a question I have uh, again, uh, based on that, because uh, it goes back to some of our experiences in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Uh, what is it about hospitals that that won't allow them to start investigate and 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 look into why these things are disappearing? You know, what what would be the the uh, what would cause them to hesitate to do that? Why, why aren't they um, going full bore trying to limit that taking place? But what do you think? Well, a hospital culture is a fraternity. Anyone that's ever worked in there knows it's like a fraternity culture. We don't tell. We don't talk about it. A lot of people are hurt a lot of times, and we don't tell them. And it's um, when I was younger, I've only been working as a pharmacist for years, I would move hospitals thinking that, you know, it was just that place that was the problem. And then finally, when I ended, I realized the system's the problem. Every day, we don't have enough staff. We don't have enough support. We don't usually even have enough items to do what we need, even before the pandemic. This occurred after the pandemic, even worse. So we're making decisions and hurting people. And when you create that culture, when you create that it's okay to do harm and we won't say it unless someone's hurt and we're going to be sued, then you create an environment that allows people to keep pushing the edge. And mm -hmm. so they allow, and then the stress, like you talked about on the healthcare workers, that incentivizes, not incentivizes, inspires them to steal. So anytime you have a stressor, right? usually you gravitate as a human being, if you're not religious, you gravitate towards, you know, some vices. So do you drink? Do you gamble? Do you do drugs? Do you, how do you deal with that stress? How do you cope? Do you get therapy? What do you do? And so the hospitals really, they put all this stress, they short staff it. They're all, they're a lot to blame for their, their healthcare workers stealing drugs because they force them into a situation where they allow them to hurt people and nothing to be said, even if it's nothing that could cause harm to the patient. Usually the chances I've seen, they'll be like, oh, I don't want to write it up. I don't want to put it in the note. And then HIPAA, it doesn't, you can't get anything out with HIPAA, but God almighty, you can post your vaccine status on Facebook and my cruise director can ask me if I'm vaccinated, which is a HIPAA violation. And we can all talk about it at the restaurant, which is also a HIPAA violation, but you cannot find out what was done to you in the hospital. You have to request your own chart. Inside paperwork, and it's the stupidest process. And then we have rules and regulations which we never enforce. So the DEA is the health inspector of of narcotics, right? 
So we have the health inspector of narcotics that does not go around inspecting hospitals. Well, you can't have a restaurant in America if you don't have a health inspector code and your your pretty little piece of paper that says, I made a 97. And then I'm always sitting there, what did you miss? Is there a cockroach or something? What's those three points? So why don't we do that for hospitals? And here's my question. Why don't we have cameras everywhere in hospitals? Why don't they enforce it? If your Grubhub driver takes a picture of his food that he put on your doorstep, why doesn't our nurses take a picture of what they put in your body? It's the most ridiculous thing. And they know that. And they have the money to solve that. But what do they do? They give the money to the businessmen. They don't give it to more staff. They don't give it to better hours. They don't do that. No, they, they build a better building. But they kill you. In it. That's That's why you die. So anyway, it's like a little passionate. I, I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that about covers that, huh, Ron? That's good. Sorry. <laughs> hey, that's yeah. true. You asked me. You've been hitting me on good ones. So you <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say from my, from my experience, and again, I, I didn't do a lot of time in ER, but um, my fire department paid better <laughs> than ER tech. Yeah. Uh, but, but you got to know a lot of doctors, a lot of nurses and, and folks there. And the thing I noticed over, say, since about the mid-1980s all the way into, up into the 90s, uh, especially after the HIV thing hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- before that, the people you work with, they took pride in the fact that they were a doctor at Methodist Hospital. And they mm-hmm. had been there for 10 years or 15 mm-hmm. years. And some doctors were tired from the hospital, right? Had nurses and even even techs who had, who had been there for 20 years. Yeah. After that, it, things changed. And what changed, uh, mostly in my experience, was the CDC and FDA things changed? Mm-hmm. Businessmen, hospital, and legal folks got involved, and like you said, it became more of a business and a cover mm-hmm. by sort of thing and keep the image pure. I can track more investments yeah. as opposed to a place for for medicine. And it, it, just in my experience, those nurses and doctors and techs became more and more jaded. Yeah. When after a while, they didn't really give a rip about how well the care was. They didn't really care that much about if the hospital functioned well and what it looked like later because they were being treated like cattle. Yeah. So they, they lost a lot of their concern and a lot of their, their uh, I don't say, what, what do you call it? Their, their pride in, in what they did, right? The idea of, of serving and protecting and healing. Right. That, that got lost in, okay, well, I got so many, how many hours I worked this week? When can I be off? How much time I have off? Yeah. And the conversations more than anything else was about where I'm going to get off and how much time we got to get off and oh crap we got to go back to work on on, on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to the patient care. So mm-hmm. I, I I I think that has a lot to do with it. you. You treat people like trash. Yeah. They'll start yeah. acting like trash. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. So <laughs> I I wonder how much the diversion is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Because. That's the count of the meds at the beginning of the day versus what's been given out and what's supposed to be in the drawers at the end of the day. And, you know, people put meds on a table and then leave and no one's supervising where those, those things are, where they were taken. They could be giving them to someone that's comatose or something. So they could disappear. So that's, that's another avenue that they disappear. How, how does, how does that work? Explain how that works. So, so and so is written for um, Norco. 
uh, every four hours. And they have a computerized drawer that they have to key their code in to have access to security. And then another firewall. And then they have to put the patient's info in and it will specifically open that drawer when they request the Norco that's mm-hmm. got that patient's meds for the day in there. And so they'll pull out the Norco and if there's something else they're supposed to give, they'll do that too. And then they'll, they'll alert the computer they've done that and then it all closes up. And, and then at the end of the day, a farm tech or pharmacist will have to count all those things or the supervisor on the floor or different people. And I think that's where Dr. Nichols was talking about <clears throat> lack of accountability with visitors or whatever, where the count's not right, <clears throat> which is the diversion. And they're just like, well, we can't deal with it. Let's just push it on the rug. But I, like I'm saying, this is someone who got it, it was scheduled, but you don't know if they really got it. Yeah. Still cameras in the rooms, yep. maybe a camera in the hallway, but nothing in the rooms. So like she said, family's not there during COVID. So okay. there's no patient advocate. Yeah. No, I mean, they just get told what to do and when to do it. And, mm-hmm. and there's no advocate in the room saying, hey, they need their NOCO now. It's been four hours or, you know, being there just to help or watch, make sure the right thing's done. Yeah. yeah. So the process he explained is totally right. What's ironic is we actually don't count those every day. You would think we would. We don't. We don't go into the, the drug cabinet like he's talking about. We don't look at that every day. Nursing, depending on the hospital, nursing is supposed to do a once a week tally. And oh. so at the end of the week, they'll tally. Here's the thing. They don't have cameras in the med room. So you don't oh. know when they take out the vial of fentanyl. A lot of times they pop it off and or versed, they take out the drug, they inject saline, they super glue the lid back in, they put it in, no one knows. And then oh. like you said, with the pills, if they are in transit, it's lost in transit a lot. In fact, they're making little chips now, RFID technology, so that you can follow it through the hospital. Well, why would you have to follow its route through the hospital unless it got lost from Pixis or drug cabinet to patient? Um, And then what happened with me specifically is they were taking it out of the, the IV bags hanging. It's like a it was like a bag of fluid, almost like a water bottle. Think of it as a water bottle um, hanging, and there was no protection there. And so they would take out the fentanyl, replace it with saline, and then they were lying in the chart. And so what bothered me and what I kept telling my company is these doctors can't see what I see. They can't see that what I'm seeing behind the scenes, all the drug data. And I said they're making their assessment on a ventilator patient on a lie. Because they think that the drug is running at this rate, and I can see that they lied and changed it to that rate a day later to make up the math to explain where it went. And so, I mean, they they took all the time, and they love to take during the holidays, and they would work in a crew. And when their nurse that didn't steal was the charge nurse, no one stole anything. But when their friends was the charge nurse, Everyone requested drugs early. And then they look and be like, we're doing nothing. I'm like, what do you mean you're doing nothing? Last night, you could chart. Tonight, you can't chart. What's going on? There's something fishy. And so I kept reporting it. And they uh, they weren't concerned. And I told them my concerns about the cabinet, like the doctor said, um, tank. I said, you know what? They're, 
They don't even look at this. Why aren't we counting this? Why aren't we looking at the drug? Why don't we just spot test the drug and see if it's actually real in there? Because the poor patient is unconscious or in pain and suffering and paying for it but not getting any of the drug. And that's why the hospitals allow it because no matter what, whether the nurse stole it or not, they make a profit for it. And in fact, hospitals are supposed to go back and look at how much they administer, especially in surgery. And they don't do that. Most of them don't have time to do that. So we don't sit there and look that if you pulled that out of the cabinet, did you give all the pills? Did you give the whole vial? And did you waste it with two people? And they didn't do that. And then they, you're sitting there and I'm like, well, of course people stole. You sit there, you make it hard for them to get the drug out, like he explained. You have all these passcodes. It's even harder to return the drug unused, which is wrong. And that process should have been changed. So why would you make the process to return the product to do the right thing hard? Why would you do that? Because that doesn't help the person either. If they were being honorable and the patient said no, now they have to go through this whole thing. It creates what's called a discrepancy. And then the nurse is worried because then they're like, if they have X amount of these, then they have to go pee. So even if they're honorable, they're, they don't want to return it because then it creates an error in the count. And so the oh. whole process is backwards. And it's, it's all messed up. But, oh. you know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Oh, sorry. Paul? Sorry. I was, I'll was. wait. I just wish Georgia was a little more passionate. You know, I just. My boss called me too passionate. <laughs> the one that yeah, hired yeah. me, he said yeah. I was too passionate about yeah. narcotics. And I said, what is your problem? Who can, no pharmacist can be too passionate about this. I'll go to prison. What are you doing? <laughs> Well, then I found out he lost drugs at his old place. So no wonder why he called me too passionate. He yeah. was lackadaisical and stealing with them, clearly. Um, so, yeah. I think oh, no. part of the question I have in, in all of this is that this what you're sharing, Georgette, is not a surprise. I mean, it, it, I don't think it's surprising for people who sort of pay attention, you know, to what's uh, going on. But it lends itself to the whole idea of the mistrust of institutions in our country. Exactly. Uh, you, you, you expect you go to hospital, you're going to get well. And then I've heard stories, no, you go to the hospital and you die. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things going on and all the risk involves and things like that. Mm -hmm. the, the distrust of the institution. I have a personal question for you, Georgette, because your faith in Christ, uh, you know, the, our faith in Christ sets us apart from, from the world. Uh, and, and there's a different standard by which we operate, obviously, you know, trying to honor Christ in everything we do and, and check mm -hmm. in and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, and just in my head, there were probably people around who claimed allegiance to Christ as well. I'm curious what happened when you started holding the line, okay? Did you get any support from, from the, from the, Christ community? I mean, did that happen? Uh, you know, how, how, how did you handle that? Because, you know, doing the right thing for the right reasons at the right time, uh, as, you know, was mentioned before, that's pretty dangerous stuff. Amen. And, you know, you take some hard hits. So I, I'd, I'd really like to know on a personal level how you navigated through, through those kinds of waters. Is that a good question? For sure. Um, well, I told about 70 people. 
before. Okay. There were 70 witnesses on my list. Um, I told a bunch of pharmacists, gosh, probably 15. I asked their opinions. I explained the situation. I, I talked about it, you know, not divulging HIPAA and all that. And they kept telling me, um, you don't understand the politics. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I don't understand. People are stealing drugs. They could be addicts. These nurses could be addicts and have a problem. And we're letting them continue to suffer and, and um, stay addicted to this drug while hurting a patient for money. Or they're selling and we're letting them do that. And actually, I lost almost all my friends. I lost my best friend of 10 years, who was a doctor, um, who I went to school with my whole life. And I, and I consulted them about it. And they said, you have to report this. The doctors are assessing a lie. You have to make this known. The second I was fired, gone. Mm. Never talked to me again. Wow. Um, a lot of friends never talked to me again. A lot of Christians. They mm -hmm. um, told me that um, to, uh, to report it better, to be more politically correct, and that um, I would probably be fired. And my dad told me I'd be fired. And he's, he's a Christian and he's a pharmacist. He still works. He's 75. Um, and he said, honey, you're going to be fired and that's okay. And you're going to do the right thing and you're not going to feel bad and you're going to get through this. And, um, I actually went to counseling before I got fired. I saw it was happening and I went to a Christian counselor because I was honestly very worried that I would be angry at God. Because, you know, that's what we do, right? We're only human. We don't understand God's whole plan. I didn't realize that I was not living my best life there, that I was wasting potential, that I could be talking about Jesus and everyone in fentanyl, and that I could be writing for a Christian magazine and helping another company and living my best life. Um, but I didn't realize that at the time. And so I was worried I'd be very angry at God because I lost my job. I needed to, my job, I have high student loans. I um, lost my friends, my support system, and they ghosted me. Most of them ghosted me. A few will occasionally still talk to me. I told them I'd be on tonight. I was like, hey, I'm talking about fentanyl and Jesus, and I blasted it. <laughs> so all the pharmacists that um, know what happened, and um, actually surprisingly out of all the pharmacists the one that stayed and helped me the most wasn't even um a christian faith that they were um mormon mm -hmm. and so it was very ironic to see all these people that i worked with for f almost four years who were my co-workers and friends who claimed to know the lord who abandoned me, but admittedly they were threatened. They were threatened for their job and fairness to them if they're listening. Management did threaten them and um, did do that. So I will say that, but um, I'm surprised at the fallout of this even, I still go to churches to try to get help. And my favorite has been that the churches have told me they have no bandwidth to counsel addicted people 
or counsel addicted healthcare workers. So I've been going to churches and asking them, imploring them to counsel healthcare workers. Because currently what happens is if you are a healthcare worker and you're addicted, ironically, you have to go to the hospital to get therapy. What a quinky dink. So here we have a hospital that controls your paycheck, your patient's life, and your therapy, and your outcome, and your destiny. And so I have been trying to get uh, churches to counsel addicted healthcare workers and provide another program. And, you know, um, we link it with uh, the company I work for and then link it to God, too, because they need God. That this is totally 100% a moral issue. And I told my boss and I told my co-workers, I said, I fear God. And I said, if you know what to do is wrong, if you know what to do is right and you choose not to, it's a sin. Paul, I said, I can't do it. I Paul, do it. I would like to insert here as a, as a, a partial answer to your mm-hmm. question that while Georgette was losing friends mm-hmm. because she had exposed the crimes and exposed the sin, mm-hmm. these people weren't true friends, but she had a family support system. And I have met her dad and her mother and her uncle Bill. And they were a strong family support system for her who guided her and helped her through this entire process. And just recently, after her story came out in Christian Times Magazine, and after we were able to meet at one of her speaking engagements, her Uncle Bill passed away. Mm-hmm. Her Uncle Bill meant a lot to her. And the guidance that he gave to her and the support system he gave to her in guiding her spiritually in scriptures is what has sustained her and kept her and still guides her through the process. So I just wanted to add that as a partial answer to your question. Mm -hmm. God bless those, those wonderful people who stood by Georgette. Amen. Amen. Uh, Georgette, um, uh, I I can relate (laughs) in my, my three and a half year battle. Um, but the thing that I found was just as, as Charles indicated, um, the the twenty or thirty or forty people that we uh, saw as friends, people we had did ministry with, uh, a number of people we had disciples and couples we had mentored for years, uh, they all disappeared, all of them, and because it was such a high profile thing, uh, forty pastors that I was a part of organization, they also had. They with me as much as far as they possibly could. But as he said, the thing that God did in that, there are a whole host of people who came alongside of us in the midst of that. That God said, these are your your family. These are the people who love me. And bought them alongside. They weren't ashamed. They didn't back down. They bought them. He bought them alongside. So that's one thing that I I can say. God will indeed continue to bring people around you. And, and, And as you said, he said it was time for you to leave, and you didn't hear it. So he goes, okay, let me tell you what. Let me help you along. <laughs> so he, it's, it's, there's another opportunity. He's giving you another opportunity on a broader stage uh, uh, to, to express and to work out that which he's put in you. Yeah. So I, I praise him. 
Praise Amen. God. And so we see the 23rd Psalm become something we really live by each one of us. Like you say, Ron and Paul, in a very unique, interesting way. Huh, Tank? We never know, but the Lord is always with us, and he's always there to surround us with his protection. Sometimes the people we can never figure out are just gone in our lives, and we say, how did that happen? And the Lord says, you don't have to know. Maybe someday you will, someday you don't. But he said, you know me, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I was reminded by a friend that uh, uh, Jesus had 12 close disciples. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they all felt yeah. it. Yeah, they all had a moment. Yeah. Yeah. And they all had a moment. Yeah. Jesus wasn't all that great. And Peter was on fire and said, I don't know that guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we've got five minutes guys and 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 one minute before that so everybody if there's not, and by the way let me tell you we are we're real excited uh dr nichols georgia to us and dr nichols who's very special we're very excited she'll be back with us again next week so oh. we can think of some more questions we got two weeks in a row i, I can't get the two hours ron but we're working on it this is one way to do it so I've got like at least four or five more questions, but I'll, I'll hold on. <laughs> hold on to those because we're, we're we're gifted, we're blessed to have you back again. Somebody share and Charles, we just love you, buddy. You are just an inspiration to all of us, and uh, so we're looking forward. He'll be back again next week too. We're just going to be fantastic. Two weeks in a row. Yeah. We yeah. we got something you want to say? Uh, everybody, take about a minute or so, and before we have to wrap out for tonight, and go ahead, Tank. Yeah, I just want to tell you that you are the light that exposed the darkness in a sad world, very depressed group of people, and that you faithfully yield the sword, which is the only offensive armor we have, and you poked a few people, which is awesome. <laughs> Keep up the battle. Keep up the battle. Like the Psalm says, you, you know, it's interesting in Psalms 23. So the first three are the pronouns are he, and then it goes though, though I chose to go down the shadow of the valley of death. So we make that choice. You did, but Jesus is right behind you with his staff Amen. and everything Amen. else. Amen. Amen. I would say take heart. Uh, you're in great company. Uh, it's, I mean, throughout all the biblical history and history, there's always been that one person who answered the call. And there are historical changes that will take place throughout the human history because one person decided to hear, 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 the, hear from the Lord and yeah. to resist the voices outside them and do what was right. So I, 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 I commend you and pray, praise God for you. Amen. 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 Paul? I had, a, I had a friend in high school who was very instrumental in bringing me to Christ by inviting me to church the first time. And, uh, it was it was an instant love affair with the Lord, you know, for me. And um, I accepted Christ and and not too long after that felt a call to ministry. And that same friend, interestingly enough, came to me one time at, uh, right after class. Uh, we were in our sophomore year of high school. And he said, uh, you know, Paul, you, you really need to calm down and quit talking about Jesus so much. You know, <laughs> you know if you just knock that off, because. You know, you're going to lose some friends if you keep talking that way. You know? oh, Lord. And, and I can remember p trying to ponder that in my in my little brain, you know, right. <laughs> and then uh, I just had to. You were theologian back then. The Lord, <laughs> they, are you, him, are you going to listen to me? And uh, you know, and it's been you know what a journey. So so there'll always be the naysayers, and mo and many many times, if not often, 
they'll come from inside the house. Yes, that's right. You yes. need to keep your eyes focused and your heart straight. And I uh, and I know that you do. And uh, we're praying that you'll continue. Amen. Yes, keep talking we, about. Yeah. Amen. We want to encourage you. We want you to know that we're praying for you. And like I said, these guys, we've all been praying for you. Oh, and uh, next next week, I hope you get to meet uh, Stephanie. That works yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> She's smarter than I am. She'll ask, ask yeah. other questions than I did. For sure. <laughs> She'll encourage you. She'll encourage you a lot. She's a special lady. But yes, we yes. just want you to be encouraged and strengthened. And we want you to know that, like everybody's telling you, the Lord's walking with you, and we're going to be praying for you. And uh, we really do honor the Lord, and we and we honor you, and we look forward to you being with us next week again to hear some things. And and let me know or, or text, and if you have something we want to put out to everybody, we'll let them know, and um, we'll make sure that we get back to you. And ladies, ladies and gentlemen, you know we come to you by by ways of gifts and, and uh, that you all give us. So if you go to bbsradio.com forward slash Raising Expectations, bbsradio.com forward slash Raising Expectations. There's a donation button there. And if the Lord ever lays on your heart that you can give a donation or a gift to help us. Some of you do such a blessing to us that way. We thank you in advance for what you could do. Whatever the Lord leads you will be blessed because he led you. So, uh, guys, next week, let's tell everybody we know and, and let's let's get ready. And we'll have some special words from you with your permission, uh, Dr. Nichols. We'll put those up. Uh, this week on media and things, and we'll make sure that we, if you've got a, a key thought in light of meeting everybody that you want to put out there, we'll go ahead and put that out this week. And Charles, same thing. You had a thought too, brother, next week, okay? So, uh, guys, we're going to have to run. So, uh, go ahead, Georgia, excuse me, Dr. Nichols. If you, have... you can call me Georgia. It's good. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay. Um, and like I say, we'll, we'll see you next week too. And we'll look forward to that. We'll talk during the week with everybody, Charles, and we'll, we'll keep everything rolling. So on behalf of everybody here, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in and all views that tuned in specifically to hear from Dr. Nichols tune in again next week. And next time bring a few friends with you because you're in for a blessing when you hear what she has to share next week. God bless you. We love you in the name of the God Lord. Bless Jesus you all. Christ. See you later. Bye bye. Love you. Bye. Friends, thanks for joining us on this week's program of Raising Expectations. We profoundly hope you found it engaging and at times humorous, but most of all, uplifting, so that we may, with you, one topic at a time each week, become more encouraged to move forward to an exciting future in, as we always say, this thing called life in America today. So let not your hearts be troubled, your family, finances, faith, freedom, it can be a great future as we talk, listen, respect, and pull together. Please let me hear from you. You can reach me at 972-922-8556. That's 972-922-8556 or Joe Schofield on Facebook or LinkedIn. It'd be a pleasure to know you and we hope you'll listen in again next week on the BBS Radio Network.